15. John chapter 15. Look around you. First of all, if you have a neighbor that does not have a Bible in a King James Version translation, please be kind enough to share your Bible with them, okay? King, the John chapter 15. We're going to be entirely in John 15. A few verses here and there. If you picked up the notes on the way in, you want to follow the notes a little bit just for time. And uh, we're going to get right into the message today. It'd just be a blessing to you. John chapter 15. <clears throat> Say amen if you're there. I'll tell you what we'll do this morning just to make sure everybody's with it. I'm going to read the odd number verses, and I want you to read the even number verses. Can you do that? Amen. Okay, I'm going to read the odd, and you're going to read the even. We get to verse 8, we're going to read it all together, all right? I'm going to start. I am the true vine, and my father is the husband. Congregation, verse 2, every branch... Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Congregation, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, listen to this, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Altogether, if a man abideth not in me, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Altogether, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. There's so many. It's going to be my disciple. Sorry, I ended a little bit too soon there. There's a lot, a lot of content here. This is one of those chapters where there's a recurrence of words that are used. Words that are very important in the Christian vocabulary. This morning, I want you to draw your attention, verses 4 and 5, at a, a phrase that speaks to our hearts, or should speak to your heart. In verse 4, at the end of the verse, Jesus said, No more can ye, and you want to underline this phrase, except ye abide in me. Now, in the Gospel of John, John uses this word except. It's one of those exception clauses. When it says accept, it draws your attention. It's kind of a red line verse. You need to look at that. And then at the end of verse 5, what you notice is Jesus said this, For without me, ye can do nothing. This morning, I want us to look at this famous passage of Scripture. It talks about the vine and the branches and fruit. And I want us to zone in this morning on the thought, we need Jesus. Amen. How many of you feel like you need Jesus this morning, man? Amen. You need Jesus to be saved. You need Jesus to be victorious. Hey, you need Jesus for answered prayer. We need Jesus. You're going through a valley right now. You need Jesus. You're suffering right now. You need Jesus. You're hurting right now. You need Jesus. And if, by the way, if you're on the mountaintop, you need Jesus. Amen? You're doing real well. You, you need Jesus even more so right now because there's a, there's a problem around the corner from all that. This morning, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture and break it open and let God speak to our hearts. Father, thank you today. We've already been blessed by the powerful and encouraging music from the choir today on rejoicing in the Lord and resting on Thee. And 
Thank you for our congregation singing about what it changes in our heart when Jesus comes in and how everybody ought to know Jesus and how Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we want you to be glorified in this service. We want you to stir our hearts and stimulate us in such a way we cannot wait for the next service. We want to be in church. We want to be in the house of God. And Father, a lot of people here this morning came from very long distances. Lord, they didn't come up here because they were looking for a grocery item or some trinket there. They came because they wanted to hear from you. They came to worship you today. And thank you, Lord, for folks who came afar. Thank you for the people right around the corner. People all around our surrounding communities. Thank you for every single person who physically was able to come to church today. And in this service, we pray that you would transform us. You would change us. We pray this morning that we, you'll help us to pay particular attention to this passage. And Lord, that it would help us to see perhaps for some of us who've struggled with this passage, maybe it will help us to have real understanding. And for some of us, dear Lord, this morning who know the passage, but have yet to experience what God wants to do, God, do a great work in our hearts, we pray today. Cleanse us, we pray, from all filthiness of flesh and superfluity of naughtiness. Jesus said, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And Father, we need the purifying effect of God's word. And then this morning, we pray that you help us to see, look in this glass, and this glass, this mirror darkly, that we might be changed and transformed more into the image of Christ. Help us, Lord, to lead today as a, as, a, as a large army of God's people who are fruitful in everything we do. Bless our service, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, we are, for those of you new to the church, I've been here for a while. We've been in a series for quite a while here, the Gospel of John, entitled Nothing But the Truth. And you know, people need to hear the truth. You want the truth. You don't want to be lied to. You don't, want to be, you don't want to be deceived and defrauded. You want to know the truth. And I want to tell you this morning, God's word is truth. Amen? The word of God is truth. God will not lie to us. There's, the Bible says there's two mutable things of which God cannot lie. God will not lie to you. God is not a liar. Titus 1, 2. And if we look at this passage this morning, we look at the truth of being fruitful Christians. But the essence of this passage, as we look at all this, you want to maybe write this down now so you don't lose sight of this. The emphasis here is about fellowship with Jesus Christ. The emphasis here is not about sonship, which I'll get into, but it's about fellowship. It's about what happens when we have a strong, abiding relationship in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus has had his disciples up in the upper room. There in that upper room, they've just concluded the, the Last Supper. It's Passover time. They've had the Last Supper. They've had a solemn time. Jesus began that, 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 that supper there, uh, uh, passing out the elements of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, the grape juice. Thereafter, he, uh, he went down and he washed your feet. He took a basin towel and he washed your feet. And then he told them that there was a traitor in their midst. And of course, they were very shaken by that. And after that, he started reminding them about the fact that, he would, that his time had come, his hour was come, that he would go to the cross and die for the sins of all the world. In John chapter 14, he starts to get to them. He can realize, he senses in their heart that they're troubled. And he can sense in their heart that they're feeling the pressures. And they're feeling very, very discouraged because Jesus is 
going away. Jesus is talking about dying on the cross, and they didn't want to accept that reality. And so the disciples are very bothered by that. And he begins chapter 14 by saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And uh, he starts to talk to them about what a real life in Jesus Christ is about, and that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through him. And he talked to them, as we saw last week, about that when he would leave, he would send another comforter, which would be the Holy Spirit of God. And now he's concluded all these. He's, he's spent some meaningful time talking to them, maybe kind of as a, as a friend to a friend, if you would, and just talking to them about some things that are very near and dear to his heart. And now he leads them out of the upper room. He's leading them out of the upper room, and they're walking out of this building, and now they're making their way out of, out of Jerusalem. And as they're making their way out of Jerusalem, they're going to go to, as you know, Jerusalem is up on a hilltop, and they're coming down a hill. They're making a descent from the, the hill of Jerusalem. They're coming out of the city, and as they do so, they're making their way around the city, and then they're going to come to the book Kidron, and they're going to cut across the book Kidron. As they cut across the book Kidron, they're going to see a very familiar site, which is known as the Garden of Gethsemane. There, the Garden of Gethsemane, which there that day, that evening, was a very full moon. Glistening on the hillside, very familiar to every Jew, were these humongous amount of grapevines. You ever make your way and study the history of Jerusalem and the temple, and the wonderful, beautiful landscape? There's something about grapevines that capture your attention. Every now and then, I'll... When I drive up, I drive up 580 and I'm going 580 east, I drive to Livermore, I'll look up on the hillside and I'll see those grapevines on the hillside. Sometimes driving down Highway 1, you'll see those wonderful vineyards of grapevines there on Highway 1. If you go through the Napa Valley area and you cannot help but stop driving through that, I realize they're growing grapes to, for the wine, the wine industry, which we're not really for, but I, I love seeing those vineyards. And there in that Garden of Gethsemane on a very full moon night, vines they covered that entire landscape. And Jesus is talking to his disciple and is there with this as a backdrop. We have John chapter 15. And there in John chapter 15, our Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. I want you to notice some things about this passage of Scripture. Number one, you notice the description Notice the description. Jesus begins by talking about the true vine. I want you to imagine it's a vine with me. It's a rope, but it's a vine. The idea of a vine took them back historically to the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, Israel was figured, or the figure of a vine was spoke about Israel. You look in your notes this morning, in Psalms chapter 80, Jesus, the, the, the writer of the Psalms, spoke about how God took, took Israel out of Egypt, and they were, they, were, they were pictured as a vine. You read Psalms chapter 80, he talks about them being a, a fruitful vine, a wonderful vine. He planted them there, and God wanted to be a very fruitful vine. But as we continue reading through the Old Testament, we realize that Israel as a vine had failed God. Because we get over to Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, God talks about his vine, but he talks about it being a vine that produced wild grapes. 
We get over to Jeremiah chapter 2, and, and in Jeremiah chapter 2, we read about the fact that it was, it was a wild vine that did not produce good fruit there. And so God, with Jesus is speaking about this vine. He's speaking about the disappointment that the vine of Israel was. It was figured to be a nation that would proclaim the glory of God, and, and that all the world may know about Jesus Christ and know about God's gospel, but this nation of Israel had failed him. In Isaiah chapter 5, I want to read this to you. He said, now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. If you imagine the backdrop of Gethsemane, a very fruitful hill. In verse 2, he made this statement. He says, and he fenced it and he gathered out the stones thereof and he planted with the choicest vine. You have to understand when, when the, the, the process of having a vineyard was hard and arduous work. You'd go to an area that looked like you could, you could plant these vines and the first thing he would do, he would clear out the land and he would remove all the rock and remove all the debris and then he would build some walls and then he would take the choices vine, he would take a vine and start to plant the vine in those different places there. And notice what he says there, he would put a tower there so he could observe from the tower to watch out for little foxes that would spoil the vine and predators that would come and nibble away at it. And then he said in verse 2 of Isaiah 5, 2, he says, And he fenced it, and he gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it. And also he made a winepress therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And notice this, it brought forth wild grapes. The idea of a vine was a, a very fruitful opportunity, but Israel had failed. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 21 he says yet I planted the noble vine holy a right seed God planted the vine how then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me and so the backdrop of John 15 notice Jesus said he makes this declaration as he's they're approaching the garden of Gethsemane walking there that full moon shining and the, the grapes just glistening the, the, the entire that vineyard glistening there with the moon shine on it he's saying I am the true vine listen as the nation your nation has failed your nation failed to produce the fruit your nation failed to be a strong witness of the glory of God but he says listen don't despair even though the nation failed I Jesus Christ have not failed remember you this morning Jesus never fails he said I am the true vine you hear your the Pharisees teaching something and then they contradict the teaching of the word of God they would say something like this you have heard but but then they would change the twist but he said I am the true vine I have descended from my father which is above I am of all truth let me tell you this morning there's a lot of confusing messages in religion and a lot of confusing messages in the world but I want to tell you this morning there's nothing confusing about Jesus Christ he is the truth. He's the true vine. And so we see a vine, which, you know, secondly, we see a husbandman. Notice in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Now, you might write some notes down so you understand this this morning. The husbandman was the keeper of the vines, the husbandman was the tiller of the soil. The husbandman was the one who had, who had to exercise diligent care from the beginning of the season to the end of harvest. The husbandman would inspect the vines. He would prune the vines, as we'll see in verse 2. He would study the vines. He'd make sure day by day that they were growing. And at the time, as Jesus is presenting this in John chapter 15, they are not large, luscious clusters. This is about April. 
They're just small little green grapes, not fit for eating, just small little green grapes, then just small little clusters that one day, if, if, they, if they remain healthy, would, would produce themselves into large, luscious clusters of grapes that would be used for the industry, their, 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 for, for, for their, their, their homes and agriculture usage and things like that. But we see this husbandman here. He's the one who takes care of it. And he says here about this husbandman in verse 1 that God our Father is the husbandman. Every Jew there understood that. They understood the importance of keeping the vines and taking care of the vines and watching the vines very carefully. And when he said God, the father, was the husband, that kind of just registered with every person there. We see a vine, we see the husband. Notice the branches, if you would. The branches are the offshoots of the vine. The branches are what the grapes grew on. Healthy vines would have many branches Many branches, ultimately, as you watch them grow, they would sprout with just a, a little sprout, and then it would extend itself out, and then as it extended itself as far as it could, you start to see these little, little clusters of grapes that would start to form on it. At the time of his lesson, I said these grapes were small and green. In a few more weeks, they would be luscious, and they would be large clusters of grapes that would be seen hanging on those branches. Hey, listen, every person who's saved, every person who's a believer of Jesus Christ, every person can make a profession of faith. They know Jesus Christ is Savior. You and I are branches off that vine. I want you to imagine with me how this colorful illustration Jesus is giving to these heartbroken disciples how he's helping them to understand their purpose. How he's helping them to understand their fellowship with him. And then notice something else here. We see, the, we see Jesus presents them this description about the vine and about the husbandman and about the branch. But you notice in verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it. Now, we'll get into this a little bit more, but I have some, I have some loppers and some pruning shares here. But, you know, he's talking about something very familiar. He says, you know, the, part of the process of taking care of the, of the vineyard was the pruning of, the, of, 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 those, of those branches there. And he says here, he, talked, he uses the phrase purging and cleansing. And he talks about a process that's essential for good fruit growth. And we'll see more about that in a minute. But number one this morning, I want you to notice we see a description. Would you notice number two, we see the devotion. Verses 2 through 7, as Jesus has introduced himself as the true vine and God the Father is the husband, he presents to us the essence of what real fellowship in Jesus Christ is all about. I want you to notice, if you'll circle some words here in this devotion in verses 2 through 7, one of the key words that Jesus uses here is the word abide. Would you notice that? In, in the word abide, he uses this word in verse 2, uh, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, and 7. In verse 6, he uses it in the phrase, if any man abideth not in me. And then notice he uses another phrase. In addition to the word abide, he uses the word in me, the words in me, the phrase in me. And he uses in me in verses 2, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is speaking to us about real devotion. Now, scroll down into that, look a little bit further. As we read this chapter, we see the importance of abiding or fellowship in Jesus. Christ. The word abide is found in, in, in the Greek, the, the word abide is found at least 12 different times in, the, in chapter 15. It's found in the word abide, it's found in the word 
continue in verse 9, and it's found in the words remain in verses 11 and 16. It's a key word. It's a word that's used throughout the New Testament. It's a Greek word, meno, and it's used in a phrase of talking about, uh, about continuation, about something that does not vanish, that doesn't go away. It talks about the, the nature of our fellowship with God, and everything he's emphasizing here is fellowship. Now, I want to clarify a couple things. When you get saved, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you attain what we call sonship. Now, sonship is the starting point in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sonship is, goes back to John chapter 1, verse 12, where Jesus tells us that to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Sonship's a wonderful thing. If you're saved this morning, you are a son of God. Aren't you glad about that today, man? You're, if you're saved this morning, you are a son of God. You're a child of God, and that's a wonderful thing. It's more than the fact that you're just a Christian. You are a child of God. You've been adopted into the family of God. And once you're adopted, you, are, you belong to God, and, and God belongs to you, and nothing can change that. But with sonship, there's the accompaniment of fellowship, okay? So we must understand something. Sonship you cannot lose. Once you're saved, you are always saved. God is not going to abandon you. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to kick you out of his family. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Say that with me today. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You don't have to struggle with the idea, did I lose my salvation? No. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You're always part of God's family. That's part of sonship, okay? Now, but when we go from sonship, we need to go to fellowship. Now, God, God saves you so you can enjoy that relationship with him. He, God doesn't save you just for the fact of saving you and giving you a future inheritance in heaven. That's wonderful, by the way. That's a good thing, and I thank God for that. I thank God we have eternal security. I thank God today that we have heaven as our home. But God did not mean for just that you put your faith in Christ and that you have heaven only. He wants you to enjoy the wonderfulness of a relationship with him. He wants you to enjoy fellowship with him. So the emphasis in John chapter 15 is fellowship or your devotion and my devotion with him. That's why Jesus used those words abide. Look at verse 2 again. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it that I may bring forth more fruit. Now you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except Accept it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Listen, this morning, it's more than just getting saved. God wants you to abide in Jesus Christ so that you may know him and the power of his resurrection. The Christian life is about walking by faith. Listen, we had folks this morning, this week, several folks that trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And some last the previous week trusted Christ as Savior. We don't have a week that doesn't go by where someone doesn't make a profession of faith through the witness of our church membership, our church ministry, where somebody hears the gospel and accepts Jesus Christ, your Savior. May I say to you this morning, if you're here today, God doesn't want you just to stop there at that relationship. He wants you to keep on going. He wants you to learn what it means to have fellowship with Him. He wants you to learn the joy of knowing Jesus. He wants you to experience the peace of your salvation. He wants to experience the power of your salvation. He wants to experience the love of Christ working in your heart there. Listen, faith does not stop at the cross. Faith continues from that point forward. We walk by faith and not by sight. 1 Corinthians 2, 5 says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so the power of God is found through this abiding relationship we have with Jesus Christ. We have this vine, but from this vine, if you'll notice, from this vine, there must be these branches that shoot off from it. And these branches, branches cannot bear fruit on their own. Branches need to be vitally connected to this vine. And being vitally connected to this vine, it draws its, its nutrients, it draws its source of life from this vine. Without that vine, a branch is worthless. A branch cannot produce anything. 
morning. May I say to you this morning, in this matter of fellowship, we need Jesus Christ. We need him in fellowship. And we need him in our walk with him. And we need him for our power. And we need him for our blessing. And so today, every branch in me, he says, abide in me and I in you. Listen, as a branch starts to shoot itself out of that vine... That branch realizes for it to grow and for clusters to form and for grapes to grow, it must be vitally connected to this vine. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except in the bite of the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. Hey, beloved, I want to encourage you this morning. God doesn't want you and I just to have a casual relationship. He wants us to have a close relationship. God doesn't want you and I to have a distant relationship. God wants us to have a devoted relationship. Hey, God doesn't want us just to be someone that has the facts. God wants us to have fellowship. The greatest thing I'm going to pose you today, thank God for all your earthly friends, and thank God for all your family members, and thank God for relationships in your life. But the most important thing we must grasp this morning is that the number one relationship in our life is that relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. We should have such a longing to be so connected to the vine, and to draw the resource from the vine, and that we grow forth this healthy, branches and fruitful branches. There's fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is saying like the song where he walks with me and he talks with me. He tells me I'm his own. Fellowship is realizing you can go to Jesus 24-7. Fellowship is realizing that as long as you stay vitally connected, God can use you. And God wants to use you. And God wants you to experience the joy of his salvation. Not just the joy of eternal life, but the joy of his salvation. We see this morning, this matter of fellowship. Turn with your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1, the matter of fellowship was so important. The apostle Paul wrote about this. And here, Paul, he's writing to this, this letter to the church at Colossae. Colossae was part of a tri-city area that consisted of Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea. Paul did not plant this church. Someone got saved and someone got their hearts stirred. And some man got called to be a preacher and he was sent down, commissioned by his church, and went there to the city of Colossae and started the church there. And this church kind of just started to grow and blossom and God started working there, and the pastor of this church, his name was Epaphras. We read about him in chapter 1 and chapter 4. Epaphras had heard that Paul was in prison, and he brought news to Paul. He came to see Paul because he heard Paul was in prison. He wanted to alleviate Paul's burden and be there to help Paul during that process. You know, there's some people being a pastor. Pastors are burdened for other pastors, and pa pastors want to care for other pastors and love them and take care of them best as they can. And, and uh, you know, so that man Epaphras felt the same about Paul, and he went, he, he just left his church. He said he told to put his men in charge, and said, guys, you got to keep hold, hold the fort here and keep the ship going. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to go down to the prison down there in Rome and go visit Paul and he went to see Paul and he spent some time fellowshipping there and he told Paul the testimony how that church started and what was going on and how this church was bearing fruit and notice some things Paul says to this church in Colossae so we can understand the matter of fellowship. He said in chapter 1, and I'm going to read, read a little bit here if you can follow me. He said in verse 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world. Notice this, and bringeth forth fruit. Now watch this. This church got planted, in, a church got planted in the city of Colossae. 
And it got its roots, as we read the book of Colossians, this, this church got its roots deep in Jesus Christ. And Paul uses the term about being rooted in Jesus Christ in Colossians chapter 2. It got its roots in Jesus Christ. And he makes, Paul makes mention of the testimony, reputation of this church. He said about them in verse 6, he says that, you, that the gospel came to you as it does to all the other places in the world. And it bringeth forth fruit. Hey, listen this morning. When the word of God comes in our heart, God wants fruit to come out of our lives. Especially if you're saved. Once you get saved, listen, the great thing you could do as an individual this morning is bear the fruit of salvation. And the fruit of salvation comes by knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. And after you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, going from there and letting Christ uh, just work in your life so that there's fruit that comes out of you. And we'll describe this fruit in a minute. And he said in verse 6, which is, come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. What a wonderful encouragement to us this morning that the moment you get saved, God wants to see fruit in our lives. And not only the moment you get saved, whether you've been saved one day or one month or one year or five years or 10 years, or 15 years and 20 years and 25 years. And for me, this year going, I think 47, 48 years, I've been, I've been a Christian by December 4th. Listen, God wants fruit in our lives. And he said in verse 8, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Notice Paul's prayer for them in verse 9. For this cause also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Notice verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, and unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. I wish I had time to break that up, but basically what he's telling us this morning, Paul was praying. He says, man, you've had fruit, but I'm praying for you to have more fruit. I'm praying for you to have more fruit. I'm praying that your fruit would abound. You'd be strengthened with all might and wisdom. You'd understand the will of God for your life. And he said the product of your life is that you'd be strengthened with all might and that you would bear, that you would be, that his glorious power would produce patience and long suffering in your life there. Andrew Murray in his book, Abiding Christ, said this, a soul filled with the large thoughts of the vine, V-I-N-E, capital V-I-N-E, the Lord Jesus Christ. A soul filled with the large thoughts of the vine will be a strong branch and will abide confidently in him. He's, he uh, be much occupied with Jesus and believe much in him as the true vine. Later on, Warren Wiersbe in his book, Be Joyful, said this, All of nature depends on hidden resources. The great trees send their roots down into the earth to draw water and minerals. Rivers have their sources in snow-capped mountains. And the most important part of a tree is the part you cannot see, the root system. And the most important part of the Christian life is the part that only God sees. Unless we draw upon the deep resource of God by faith, we fail against the pressures of life. Listen, there's fellowship. There's fellowship. Brother, sister in Christ, I'm going to impose on you this morning the greatest need you and I need to have this morning is fellowship with Jesus. We must abide in Him. We see the true vine, we see the branch. We notice something else in our passage. But you notice not only the fellowship, but you notice the fruit. Now, Jesus says much about fruit in this passage of Scripture, He speaks about fruit. But you notice there's a distinction of fruit. We have here four boxes that I'm thankful Brother Vaughn was able to help me put together here. And in these four boxes we see no fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Now I want you to notice with me this morning that as we look at the scriptures, Jesus makes mention of fruit recurrently. Look at verse 2. Every branch that beareth fruit. Look at verse 4. As the, as the branch cannot bear fruit 
Uh, look at verse 5. He, say, he talks about much fruit. And again, we read later on in verse 8, he talks about, uh, here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And then notice verse 16. He says here, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. Now the given, let's look at this morning in our illustration. It's, it's a given this morning that there's a true vine. And it's a given this morning that there are branches from this vine. These branches must abide in the vine. They cannot be detached. Branches do not bear fruit for itself. It brings forth fruit for other people. Right? You have a fruit tree. It's not bearing fruit for itself where there's self-consumption. It's bringing forth fruit so that other people can be blessed and benefit from the fruit. You understand what I'm saying? How many of you have fruit trees in your backyard or front yard? Okay. Raise your hand. A lot of you give me your fruit. I get so much fruit, I don't need to plant a fruit tree in my yard. All right? I'm thankful for that. By the way, if you have an avocado tree, give me your avocados. Amen? Okay. When my father bought his home in Oakland, uh, 1971, where, where my mom still lives right now, uh, the amazing thing about that backyard was that the, the previous owner planted a lot of fruit trees. Listen, we have, we have fig trees back there. We have uh, Santa Rosa plum trees back there. We have apple trees back there. We have pea trees back there. Uh, man, we got fruit. I don't even know what kind of fruit they are. Man, we got all kinds of fruit in that backyard there. And when I was a, when I was a younger, younger person, my dad used to have me climb the trees and pluck down all the Santa Rosa plums. There was one year, I think, we plucked off probably three or 400 pounds of Santa Rosa plums off that tree, if you can imagine that. And there was still some way at the top we couldn't get to. And we've got lemon trees and all kinds of trees. But I'm going to tell you, every tree has the same unique characteristic. You know, it's like, like, a, like a grapevine. There were branches attached to something, and whatever was attached to gave it a, gave, gave, it, that's where it got its life source. Now, watch this with me. Jesus speaks about these, about this, this fruit. Now, notice the distinction of fruit. Every Christian, now I say this this morning, every Christian can bring forth fruit. Amen? Amen? Yes. Every Christian can bring forth fruit. Every Christian can bring forth fruit. Everyone. If you're connected to the vine, you can bring forth fruit. Listen, there's the fruit of souls one to Christ. Romans 1.13. Paul said this in Romans 1.13. He said this, that Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was led hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Now Paul, Paul purposed in his Christian life, wherever he went, he wanted to produce fruit. And that fruit he's talking about there is the fruit of souls being saved. May I just tell you this morning, every Christian in this room, you can be a soul winner. Every Christian in this room, you can lead someone to Christ. Every Christian in this room, you can have an impact. You can have a direct result in somebody's life and help them to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Hey, there's the fruit of souls being saved. Second, there's the fruit of holiness. In Romans chapter 6, would you notice verse 22? But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness unto the end, everlasting life. Well, somehow in our culture today, we've kind of undermined the subject of holiness. And we've kind of just thrown it on the back burner somewhere. We kind of just don't want to talk about holiness. Hey, we've got to talk about holiness because holy is God. Amen? Amen? Be ye holy even as I am holy. That is the nature of God. And even as he is the world, so even as he is, so are we in this world. First John chapter 2, chapter 4. 
Hey, there's the fruit of souls being saved. There's the fruit of holiness. Hey, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, there's the fruit of the Spirit. Every Christian can produce the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Now, you know, a lot of times we, some of us come from very insecure backgrounds, and maybe we, we grew up with people that just always said negative things to us and told us we couldn't get things done, and, and we're failures and all that. And I want to just help you this morning. If you grew up in that kind of background, I just want to tell you God loves you. Amen. And I want to tell you today that if someone told you you couldn't get anything done, they said you're a failure, maybe you have a supervisor who's very insecure and your supervisor doesn't like you and they keep putting you back and you feel like you can't advance her. Can I tell you something? Regardless of what that supervisor thinks about you, God has great thoughts of you. God said, for I know the thoughts I think of you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Okay. Don't you feel insecure about who you are in Jesus Christ? Hey, you're accepting the beloved in Jesus Christ. Amen. Man, you got a God who loves you and a God who cares for you. He's concerned. And by the way, we have a God in heaven who's concerned that every Christian here today can be a successful Christian. And so there's the fruit of holiness. There's the fruit of the Spirit. And if you'll notice the fruit of the Spirit, he says, he calls it love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, tempers. Against such there's no law. Oh, there's the fruit of holiness. The fruit of souls being saved. There's the fruit of the Spirit. There's the fruit of righteousness. Every Christian can bring forth fruit of righteousness. There's the fruit of, from sacrificial giving. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be emphasizing uh, to our church what we call faith promise giving and faith promise missions. And we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and Philippians chapter 4. But there's the fruit from sacrificial giving. Listen, Paul was writing to the church at Philippi in chapter 4 there. And he was, uh, he was rejoicing with them because uh, he, he got to Philippi. And, uh, you know, he ran out of, you know, at that time, they really didn't know how much money a missionary needed to have support. And, and uh, so Paul got down there as he's writing the, the book to the Philippians, you know, he got down there to Thessalonica and he, he ran out of money. And I'm not going to say that he was lavish or anything like that. He wasn't taking advantage, but he just didn't have enough money. And he got to Thessalonica and down to Berea and down to, down to Athens. He just was out of money. We get over there when he gets to the city of Corinth there in Acts chapter 18. There at Corinth, he had to, he had to start making tents because that's what he, he learned to trade. He made some tents to take care of himself. God brought him across the path of a wonderful couple by the name of Achille and Priscilla. And they made tents, but he had, to, he had to go to work to earn some money and do that. And that, that's not a bad thing. But this church at Philippi said, hey, you know what? Paul started our church down in our city. And Paul, Paul is our pastor. But Paul is also the missionary sent from this church. And he's doing a good work. And what he did here at Philippi, he's doing there at Thessalonica. And what he did there at Thessalonica, he's going to do there at Berea. And what he did there at Berea, he's going to do there at, at Athens. And what he did at Athens, he's going to do at Corinth. And he said, they said, hey, listen, someone's got to take care of our missionary. And somebody's got to do something. And they said, listen, we're already tithing, giving our, 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 our offerings to God. But listen, let's take up a faith promise offering for this man by the name of Paul. And Paul, as he writes about their giving, he says they, they, gave, they gave for him and to him, and they met his need. He says, he says, I didn't desire fruit for me, he said, but he says, I do desire fruit that would abound to your account. And I tell you this morning, one of the great reasons why we should give to missions is because there's fruit that abounds to your account. Hey, when you stand before Jesus Christ one day at the Bema Seat Judge of Christ, you want, to give, you want to give evidence of the fact that you gave to missions, and there's fruit that abounded to your account. I'm thankful Heritage Baptist Church last year. I think as a church, we, uh, our folks have pledged about $400,000 to missions, 450000 to missions or so. I'm thankful for all the dollars we sent out to help our mission. I wish I had store time tonight to tell you about all the stories of what we, God has been doing there. But I want to tell you this. There's fruit abounding to the count of this, this local church right now. And then Colossians 1.10, Paul talked about fruit in every good work. But there's a fruit everybody can do that sometimes we forget about. In Hebrews chapter 13, there's the fruit of our lips, giving thanks and praise to God. How many are thankful God saved you this morning, man? 
How many can say praise the Lord today? Amen. How many have something to thank God for today? Amen. We see the distinctions of fruit. But you notice the degrees of fruit. Look at verse 2. Jesus talked about a branch. No fruit. No fruit. What was wrong with that branch? It was connected to the vine. It had no fruit. Notice later on in verse 4, uh, in verse 2 again, in verse 4 and verse 16, he talked about a branch that had fruit. Now fruit, here, here's no fruit. Here's fruit. It had some fruit. My wife and I have a, a fig tree, and the first year it produced fruit, it was one fig. And she pulled it off, was ready to eat. We kind of just... I hate to say this, we almost kind of worshipped it because we were thinking, who's going to be the first one to eat it? <laughs> Amen, you know? I won't let tell you who ate it, but, you know, it got eaten, okay? But it had fruit, right? If you just have one, one, one plum, one lemon, one apple, okay? You have one fig, it's fruit. No fruit, fruit. Hey, hey, I like this one. More fruit. Hey, I, I don't want a tree that's just going to produce fruit one year. I want a tree that's going to produce fruit year after year. More fruit. But then our Lord Jesus Christ blows our mind. He doesn't just talk about fruit. Notice in verse 8 and verse 16, he talks about much fruit. A lot of fruit. An abundance of fruit. Hey, how many of you glad this morning that if you have fruit trees, that your fruit tree bears more fruit than you and your family can consume? And you give it away, right? Give it away. Simona, you guys give it away, right? Thank you for giving it to me. Brother Lito, thank you for giving it to me. Amen? Okay. You give it away. It's more than your, your family can consume. There are degrees of fruit. Just like in this room, as we talk about fellowship, there are degrees of fruit. God wants fruit. And so number two, we see a devotion. Number one, we saw a description. Number two, we see devotion. Number three, would you notice the dependency? Devotion speaks about fellowship and fruit, but we see something about the vital link. Look at verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I said this earlier, no branch can bear fruit by itself. Listen, if I, if I cut this branch, this branch is already cut, it's cut off from its tree. Will it bear fruit? No. Just to prove the point, there's another branch cut off from the tree. Will it bear fruit? No way. Here's another one. I don't know whose tree we killed, but we cut it off, okay? No fruit. Now, Jesus draws a, 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 what I call a, a very simple principle we all understand. A branch that's not part of the vine or branch that's not rooted has no fruit. Look at verse 5. I am the vine. Now, you can imagine these disciples that they're standing there in the Garden of Gethsemane and how this is really resonating with them. I am the vine. And by the way, he said he was the true vine. He says, ye are the branches. 
He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now here's my thought this morning in the dependency. Without Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. Hey, without Jesus Christ, there's no fruit. If you're not praying in Jesus' name, there's no answers to prayer. Amen? Hey, listen, if we think we can build the church without Jesus, we might as well just close the doors and forget it. It might be, it may be an attraction point for a crowd. And it might be a place where there's a, a lot of activity. But if Jesus is not here, and if Jesus is not building his church, it's not a church. You see, without Jesus Christ, it's impossible to do anything that would be productive or useful. Listen, if you're trying to serve God in your flesh, and without Jesus Christ, you can do nothing. He said, without me, you can do nothing. I'm going to tell you this morning, without Jesus Christ, we are powerless. Without Jesus Christ, the church cannot grow and it will wither away. Without Jesus Christ, you have no peace. Without Jesus Christ, there is no joy. Hey, without Jesus Christ, those of us who are married, our marriages are on shaky ground. Without Jesus Christ, our jobs and our careers are very unstable. Without Jesus Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Without Jesus Christ, there is no fruit. Without Jesus Christ, student, you're going to do nothing more than just be an academic plotter. Listen, if you're just going to school and just to get your degree, to be somebody famous, but God is not part of it. You're going to go on with life and you're going to come to the rude awakening by the time you're 35 or 40 that you've been going through the motions, but Jesus Christ was not in it. Yeah. School is more than just getting your grades and getting a job. There comes a point in time the job's not worth it. If you don't have that abiding relationship, the most miserable person on all planet earth is a Christian who's supposed to be attached to the vine, but there's no connection. And how many of us have gone through life, we've gone through our 20s and our 30s, our 40s, 50s, 60s, even some of us in our 70s right now, we're at that place of life and we're feeling miserable inside. There's a sense of emptiness. There's a sense of lack, uh, something's lacking there. And I'll tell you what the lacking is. There was a vine that was not vitally linked to the, uh, a branch that was not vitally linked to the, branch, uh, the vine there. Without Jesus Christ, we cannot see souls saved. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Man, it's important you this morning. There's a great dependency. We need Jesus. We need his power. We need his presence. We need his love. We need his abiding in us. We need to abide in him. We need Jesus. Would you notice a fourth thing this morning? We see the description. We see the devotion. We see the dependency. Would you notice fourthly, write this down please, the discipline. The discipline. Jesus describes in verse 2 and verse 6 the important work of the husbandman. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. Now the husband, as he went down, he went to inspect those vines and he wanted to make sure his branches were growing. He's, he's studying these vines to make sure these branches, that the branches are very healthy branches. He wants to make sure that these branches are growing very healthily. He's inspecting them daily. He's meticulous. He's running his hands over these branches before they start shooting out and fruit growing there. And he's going to do a process. He's going to be studying them for the process of what many of us know called pruning. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it or cleanses it or prunes it that it may bring forth more fruit. 
Now notice in this, in this discipline process, I call this discipline, you will see this in a minute. Notice there's the shaving of the branch. Now in those days, I don't think that they had pruning shares or loppers like we do. There's a big set. There's a man's type of loppers. Amen, you know. I don't think they had, but we can use it for the illustration this morning. You see, the husband would come down and we'd look at these branches. And one of the things he would look for is what we call sucker fruit or sucker branches. A sucker branch is a branch or, or, or outshoot that comes off that branch or, or, or off that vine that is not natural. It's actually a branch that's drawing sap away and nutrients away so that this branch that needs to grow to be fruitful is not going to be able to be fruitful. So what he does is he'll take his pruning shears or his pruning knife and he starts cutting away. He starts shaving away against this. And he shaves away, he shaves away excess leaves. He shaves off or cuts off uh, sucker branches that would affect the growth. And he does that. It hurts the branch. In fact, the branch doesn't look very pretty when you prune it. It doesn't look very good when you take the excess excess leaves off and you clean the sucker branch. It doesn't look very good, but he has to do that because notice this, he says in verse two, he says, he purges it that it may bring forth more food. Now, why does he do that? Because if he doesn't cut the sucker branch off, the sucker branch will absorb all the nutrients and this branch will not bear fruit during that season. If they're not very careful, this branch can wind up being corrupted by that sucker branch. Hey, let me tell you this morning, there's a lot of things that want to suck away your life and your joy from you. There's a lot of things that want to suck away the power of Jesus Christ out of your life. Hey, bitterness will suck out the, the joy of Jesus Christ out of you. Your critical spirit will suck out the joy of Jesus Christ out of you. The power of God can be sucked out of you because of other things that are distracting and interfering with our life and our ability to abide in Jesus Christ. And so the, the wise husband, which is God the Father, has to come down. He has to cut away. There has to be this shaving. But notice the shaving is something else we see, a shamefulness. Because in all this process, what Jesus is describing here in verse 2 and verse 6 is what we call the matter of the discipline of the Christian or chastening. Chastening is when God uses a painful trial in your life and my life to cut away sucker growth that is keeping us from being fruitful. It hurts the branch when the, when the, when the husbandman has to cut away the bad growth. And it hurts the believer when our fellowship is not really what it should be and we've let the other things grow out of our lives that are not from drawing from Jesus Christ that God has to cut away those things. You read Hebrews chapter 12 and God has to apply the chasing process, the discipline process for correcting us to getting us so our lives are cleansed. Look what he says here in verse 2. Now you are, uh, verse two, uh, 3 here. He says, now you are clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. He said, listen, all of you are going through this process where I've got to chasten you and I've got to discipline you so that you can be corrected so you can bring Bring forth more fruit. Chastening's painful and chastening's hard. And chastening sometimes just brings us to tears. And there's hurt that goes along with chastening. But listen, for whom the Father loveth, he chasteneth. A branch that doesn't bear fruit is a shameful branch. He said in verse 2, a branch doesn't bear fruit. And then notice verse 6. Please look at verse 6 to me because I want to correct misunderstandings some people have about verse 6. He says, if a man abide not in me. Now, that ought, that ought to frighten us a little bit. If a branch does not abide in the vine, it's connected, but it's not drawing nutrients. It's not growing. There's no fruit. There's no fruit of the Spirit. There's no fruit of souls being saved. There's no fruit of holiness. There's no fruit of righteousness. 
There's no fruit. There's no fruit of good work. He said here in verse 6, look it. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch. In other words, he's saying, here's a branch that's not bearing fruit. It's dried up. It's withered up. It falls off the vine. And he says in verse 6, men gather, he says he's cast forth as a branch and it's withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. Now, number one, let me correct some bad, bad theology. That is not saying you're going to lose your salvation. That is not saying you're going to lose your salvation. Say amen if you understand that. You don't lose your salvation. Because if, t- if you built that theology just in that one verse, it contradicts everything that's been t- spoken about in the Gospel of John about this eternal security you have. Hey, John 10, 28, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Amen. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John 5, 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, the same hath everlasting life, and shall not see condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Amen. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But what this is saying, it's using the analogy of a dead branch. But dry it up and wither branch. When it gets to that point, it's of no use. Except for one thing. Men gather because they, they, they use dry branches and cast them to the fire as firewood. He says, you're of no use. He says, basically, you're, you're, he, the analogy he's giving to us here is you're put on the shelf of uselessness. You have no value. You're just someone that's just put on the sidelines. You're forgotten. You've lost your worth. You've lost your usefulness. Hey, listen, Christian friend, I know there's a lot of demands on our life and there's a lot of things, God, we, we feel we've got to do. We've got to make our living. We've got, to, we've got to save up for retirement and we've got to get our kids to school and we've got to do this thing, that, and the other. And by the way, those are all important things and God knows that, amen? But when all those things become more important than God and we're not drawn for that vital relationship and days become weeks and weeks become months and months become years where it's been a long time since we've had a, we've had a quality time of fellowship with God and there's been no fruit produced in your life and maybe at best we're just at this level between no fruit and fruit. God is saying, hey, listen, I might have to chasten you. I might have to put you on the sidelines somewhere. I might have to put a painful knife into your life to get you to realize that I want you to be like this. I don't want you to be like this. Amen. Amen. He said, man, gather them. I wonder this morning, do you feel withered in your soul? Come to Jesus, the water of life, and he'll revive you this morning, amen? Amen. You feel famished in your life? Come to Jesus. He's the bread of life that will satisfy every soul. You feel like you've lost your enthusiasm? Hey, spend time in the presence of the Almighty Son of God and let Him put the fire of God in your life once again, amen? Because as we close this morning, God's desire is that we're not here, but we're over here. Look at verse 7 and 8. Because as we close this morning, we see the description there's the true vine, there's the husbandman, there's the branch, branches, there's the fruit, there's the, there's the purging, there's the devotion. Jesus is emphasizing fellowship and fruit. There's the dependency. Christ said, Without me, you can do nothing. There's the discipline. The husband has to make his way. By the way, don't think that you can hide anything from God. Don't think that God doesn't know what's going on. God, God has his way of visiting us when we don't really expect it. And he starts cutting away at that, at that branch that's not bearing fruit. Yeah. 
And maybe some of us this morning, he's, cutting, he's already begun that cutting process. It hurts. But as we close this morning, notice verses 7 and 8. Would you notice the discipleship? Everything our Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about here is talking about what is real discipleship. Here's the goal of the Christian life once you get saved. It's to represent Jesus Christ as a true disciple. He said in verse 7 and 8, he says, if you abide in me. Now he puts, he puts the burden on us. The if is on you and me. Okay? It's not on God. Hey, listen. You're abiding in Jesus. Hey, your life is going to be a lot of apples, oranges, peaches, nectarines, and bananas. Okay? Some of you are just a bunch of bananas. Amen? <laughs> if you abide in me, and my words, what is his words? What do you mean abide in me? Sorry about that. That's not the word of God. Right here. In my heart. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Listen, you can't have fellowship with Jesus apart from his word. You can't go, hey, listen, just like food, you need food for fuel. You need this for fuel, amen? amen. If you abide in me, my words abide. Look at the next part. What's he say? You shall ask what you will, and it shall be what? Done unto you. What, what's he talking about there? He's talking about the interaction of prayer and the word of God in our fellowship. You get what I'm saying? Prayer and the word of God. The essence of fellowship. God designed this. It's not rocket science. A lot of people think, and I talk to a lot of young people that get very excited about things, and they say, well, pastor, I think I need to go to Bible college. I think I need to go to seminary. I need to get all this training. And here's my advice to you. If you don't have a walk with God, you're not going to get it by going to seminary and Bible college. Get your walk with God first. Get your walk with God first. Learn to abide in his word and learn to pray to God and get a hold of the Lord. Then he said, verse 8, would you notice what he says? We're done. He said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, it shall be done to you. Look at this. Here it is, my Father glorified. How many want to glorify God? Amen. How many want to glorify God? As a lot of you don't want to glorify God. <laughs> Here it is, my Father glorified, that you what? Bear much fruit. What's the life that glorifies God? You got a vine. Your branch is growing. He comes along the way. He prunes it every now and then. And maybe at the first it brings forth fruit. But as he's pruning it, it starts to bring forth more fruit. And as it's drawing from the nutrients, as all the sucker growth is taken off, it brings forth much fruit. And the Lord is saying this, watch. The marks of true discipleship is number one, we're abiding in Christ. Number two, we're bringing forth fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Notice something else he tells us. The marks of discipleship, it's not just found there. Notice, notice in verse 7, we, God's word is abounding in us. Notice verse 7, 
We have a prayer life that pleases God. And God's answering our prayers. Notice in verse 9, he says, continue ye in my love. The word continue is the same word for abide. It's the Greek word meno. We are bounding in his love. We love like Jesus. How many want to love like Jesus loves? Amen? You know what loving like Jesus loves? Now, when you say that, okay, just put on your seatbelt. Because if you're going to love like Jesus loves, you've got to love the unlovable. He's not lovable, but I love him anyway. It's loving those who hate you. Loving those who've hurt you. Don't raise your hand. A lot of you have been hurt. That's what the kind of fruit that comes out. That's true discipleship. Answered prayer. The word of God in your life. Loving like Jesus. Look at, look at verse 11. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. That my joy might remain in you. The word remain is the same word for abide. It means to continue. We've been talking a lot about rejoicing. I spent a couple of Wednesday nights ago talking about rejoicing. Tonight is uh, part of our message tonight from Psalm 122. I'm going to talk about rejoicing. The psalmist said, I was glad when they sent unto me. Let us go into the house of the Lord. The word glad is the same word in the original language as the word rejoice. And we look at here and he says, hey, I want you to have my joy. And I want my joy to remain in you. I don't want it to dissipate. I want you to have the same level of joy. I want your cup to overflow with joy. But notice something else in verses 12 and 13. He talks about uh, love, a loving, love, greater love has no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. He's saying a disciple is not afraid of making sacrifices. And notice verse 16. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall say, Father, my name, that will I do. And what he's saying there, he's saying here, listen, God has ordained us and chosen that we have fruit that continues. In other words, we get to much fruit. He wants it to continue. So this morning as we close, there's fellowship. Christian friend, abide in him. Draw close to him. You're sensing right now in the Lord working in your life. He's doing a work in your heart right now where he's pruning away at your heart. Thank him for that. My wife and I went to visit someone yesterday that is going through a, a very, very difficult trial. They're going to be bedridden for the rest of their life. They're not going to improve. It's a disorder, a disease that there's no cure. And this person went to see as a Christian. There was no agitation on their face. There was no lack of peace in their life. My wife and I were, we got the greater blessing because this Christian just had the joy of the Lord in their life. And together we prayed and thanked God for that trial. Because the Bible says, kind of all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. We thank God for that trial. We ask for God's grace and his strength to be perfect in this moment of weakness. And if you're going through that this morning, can I encourage you today? Thank him for the trial. But lastly, in verse 13, he speaks about a love, greater love. Jesus Christ showed that greater love. Greater love is no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Can I tell you some good news? Jesus said in that chapter, he doesn't call us servants, he calls us friends. Everything in that chapter is about relationships. He calls his friends. And he laid down his life for you and for me. 
He died for your sins. Why? Because if you have not, you don't have the relationship, you can get that relationship today. Right now. You can call on the Lord of heaven who died for your sins, but bless God, he rose again from the dead and offers you the gift of eternal life and you can be saved today. Christian friend, draw close to him in fellowship. Be thankful for the pruning he's doing in your life. Go from here, no fruit, to here, much fruit. If you're not a believer, you're not saved, today's the day to be saved. Today's the day to call on the Lord to save you from your sins. Bow our heads and close your eyes for prayer.